Thank you, Brother Andreas and all the musicians and singers. Welcome, everybody, to AOI. You know, for several weeks now, as I look out into the congregation as I am now, because everybody wears a mask, sometimes it's hard to recognize exactly who you are. But I have noticed in the past several weeks, I've noticed that we have new people with us. And I don't think I've got, had a chance to meet all of you just yet, but just, just to respond now with a quick hand up in the air, I won't call you out, I won't embarrass you, but if you're new with us, meaning if you started coming here within the last six months, in the last six months, if you started coming here to AOI, can I just see you for a moment? Just lift up your hand real quick. In the last six months. Yes, amen. Anybody else? All right, amen. Praise God. And welcome to all of you. And I know we used to do that a lot. We used to welcome everybody every single week. And sometimes I, I, I refrain from doing that because when a new visitor comes in, and I'm asking, are you new today? The biggest fear is, oh, please, don't ask me to stand up. Oh, please, don't, don't tell me to say something in front of everybody. And so a lot of times we don't want to admit that we're a, a newcomer here to the church. But I've seen you. I've noticed you. It's so good to have you with us. And I, I hope and pray that you certainly not only feel at home here in the sanctuary, but more importantly, we want you to see Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So good to have all of you with us. If you want to turn your Bibles open now to the letter of Romans, we started a new series last week from the book of Romans, and today we're, we're still in the greeting section, the introduction of Romans, which is of course chapter 1. Today we're going to sort of pick up from last week's reading. We're going to start from verse 7, and today we'll go all the way to verse 15. And again, we're still in the introductory phrases and, and words of this letter. Paul is still sort of introducing himself and saying hello to the church in Rome. Last week, we talked about greetings from Paul, and now we're going to talk about the gospel effect. And this won't be just all wrapped up into one sermon, because as we go through the book of Romans, we're going to see constantly what the Bible says about what the gospel is and what it does for those who believe. And so what I say today about the gospel is not the end of it. We're going to continue going back to it all throughout the book of Romans. But of course today, the title is The Gospel Effect. And so if you'll stand with me, reading from Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 7, again to verse 15. Let's begin. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means, now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift, so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. 
Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Amen. You may be seated. The gospel effect. I love this very first verse that we read today. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This statement is such a unifying statement. Why? Because Paul is saying to the Christians who are in Rome, listen, all of you, as a collective group, you are the beloved of God. Agapetos is the Greek word. God loves you with an amazing, everlasting love. You are the beloved. Do you know in the New Testament, the very first time we come to that word beloved, it's when God the Father speaks to Jesus the Son and says, you are my beloved Son. And you can imagine that great, infinite, powerful love between the Father and the Son. But now we learn that that same wonderful, amazing love, God pours it upon you. As we are in Christ and united with Christ, the love that the Father has for the Son, He has it for you. And so we're all brought together under this wonderful umbrella of the love of God. It's a unifying statement. He also says we're called to be saints. All of us saints. And that word saint comes from a Greek word now called hagios, and it means to be holy. This word saint means to not only be separated from the world. Of course we're in the world. Of course we dwell in the world, but we are not to be of the world, in the sins of the world. We are to be separate from the world, and as saints we are separated to God. So God doesn't just separate you from the world and then that's it. No, he separates you and gives you a purpose to himself, to serve him. As Paul said, I am a bondservant of Jesus Christ. We are separated from the world. We are separated to God for his purposes. We are vessels for his use. And he also says, as Paul does in probably all of his letters, I'll have to check that, but he often says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time you see those words, you'll always find it's grace before peace. Because it's not until you understand grace that you can experience peace. Grace is that kindness freely shown to you. Not because you earned it or deserved it or did anything to gain it. God freely gave out of goodness and kindness towards you. There are people in the world that say, I must do as much as I can do in order to gain God's attention. I must do as many good works as I can so that God will be impressed with me and choose to save me because I have deserved that kind of salvation. 
and a person who thinks such ways, they do not know the grace of God. And that kind of a person trying to gain God's attention will never, ever have peace. It is by grace, by grace, we are saved today, as the Bible says. And once we understand that this is God's grace shown to us, then we can be at peace and have rest, knowing that we belong to God. When you understand grace, you'll experience peace. Do you know peace today? No, oh, I pray you do. So Paul opens, at least for our text today, with this unifying statement, sort of gathering all the people of Rome, all the Christians of Rome together, reminding them who they are in Christ. And yes, some of them are from Jewish backgrounds. Some of them are Gentile. But in Christ, they are brought together and loved, called to be holy, saints, receivers of grace, and now peace with God. Amazing. And so in the text today that we've read, as we go on further, today I want to focus on two parts to what we just read. One is the faith of the Roman church, and the other is the prayer that Paul makes and what sort of stirs up in him because of this prayer that he makes. And so by examining today the faith of the Roman church and the prayer that Paul makes, I believe we gain insight as to how these people were affected by the gospel. What was the gospel effect upon the Christians in Rome? Well, we can learn something about it by looking at their faith and hearing the prayers of Paul. You with me? Okay, so let's begin with number one, the faith of the Roman church the people that Paul is writing to. In verse 8, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Paul says, I thank my God. And he doesn't mean to say my God as opposed to your God. No, they're all saving, serving the same God. But doesn't just, just show what the gospel does for someone. The gospel, believing in it, brings you into a personal, intimate relationship with God. So that when we are saved, we're not just talking about a God somewhere out there. Someone who created the world and just sort of left it there. No. Jesus brings us into the very presence of God and we can say, my God. He's not just a God or the God. He is my God. This is what the gospel does. It brings us into an intimate relationship, wonderful relationship with God, only through Jesus. And look what Paul says about this church in Rome. He says, your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. In other words, everywhere Paul traveled, which was many different places, not only Israel, but north into Syria, further north into Asia Minor, across the oceans into Macedonia, down through Thessalonica and, and Berea and down into Athens and Corinth and all these places. Paul had been to many places around the world. And everywhere he goes, there's one common discussion he has with everyone. Everyone is talking about the faith 
of the Roman church. And I believe it's, it's not just believers saying to Paul, have you, have you heard about the faith in Rome? I think it's also unbelievers that Paul's coming in, into co contact with. I think everybody who was aware of what was happening in Rome, they knew that there was a church and they knew there are Christian people who had this faith worthy to be talked about. That word, when it says spoken of, it means to be preached and proclaimed. And people everywhere Paul traveled, they were proclaiming this faith that was found in the church in Rome. Now, why is this? Why is the church in Rome singled out like this? What is it about their faith that's being talked about all over the world? Well, let me suggest there may be two reasons for it. I think there is certainly a biblical reason why, and there's a historical reason why everyone is talking about the faith of the church in Rome. First, the biblical reason. It's because of what God promised all the way back in the book of Genesis to Abraham. Now, do you remember a couple of months ago, I actually preached a sermon from Genesis chapter 12 about the story of Abraham taking Sarah into Egypt and all that happened there? Do you remember we read about the calling of Abraham and what God said to him way back then? Do you remember? Well, let's recall this together. Turn to your Bibles. Turn to Genesis chapter 12. Let me just briefly read what God said to Abraham and show you how this is fulfilled and what's happening in Rome. This is the calling of Abraham, who would be the father of all Israel. Chapter 12, verse 1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. To whom? Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is what God said to Abraham all the way back in the beginning. And this sort of is repeated all throughout the Old Testament. That God designed the plan to not only bless the people of Israel and to speak through them, through the prophets, and to prophesy of the Messiah that would come. So he gave them his word. He also gave them a nation of their own. And he gave them the Messiah because Jesus was born of the Jews. But all of this, according to God, was so that one day they could bless the nations, all the Gentile world around them. So in the Old Testament, Israel is commanded to be a light to all the nations. That one day, Israel, they would spread the gospel and people would know God. Not just the Savior of the Jews, not just the Savior of Israel, but the Savior of the world. Savior of the world. And so Paul joins all of them in giving thanks to God for how good he has been. He is faithful to every promise. All of you that are sitting here today, unless I am unaware, all of you are Gentiles. Aren't you glad God kept his promise? Because today you have taken hold of that gospel and you're saved. 
So I think one of the reasons why people are rejoicing with great thanks toward God, of course, is because God has kept his promise and the gospel has gone throughout all the world and saving people that are even living in the capital of the empire of Rome. And that brings me to the historical reason. Why are people talking about the faith of the church in Rome? Because not only does the gospel bring about salvation to those who believe, but it also changes people. The gospel changes us, and it changes us with a love, a love of God poured into us. And that love, the Roman world neither understood it, nor did they want it. While Rome somewhat tolerated the Jewish people, at least sometimes, not every time, but for the most part, they had some tolerance of the Jews. And that was because they looked at Judaism as being a very ancient religion. And that's right. I mean, the calling of Abraham happened about 2,000 years before the Roman Empire was even around. And so they looked at Judaism as being a very old, ancient religion. So that's okay. You can worship as you do. Just stay in line. And they had some tolerance for the Jews. But when it came to the Christians, from the very beginning, Rome had zero tolerance for Christians. Zero. And in a very short time, this letter of Rome the, uh, to the Romans, it was written somewhere in the middle of the 50s A.D., around 55, 56, 57 A.D. And between this time, persecution is already rising up, and within 10 years' time, there will be an all-out assault upon Christians. The Romans, in very short time, they went from being simply repulsed by Christian people to actually persecuting them and killing them. Why? Why did Rome feel like this toward the Christians? Well, there are several reasons. Number one, they did not like the fact that the church was a diverse kind of people. They didn't like the diversity of the church. In other words, there were many races. There were many social statuses coming together. There were men and there were women. There were those from sophisticated backgrounds and there were slaves. There were rich and there were poor. And they didn't like the fact that they were all gathered together in this way because it completely ruined the social construct that Rome had made. They saw a unity of all kinds of people in the church and they didn't like that. Number two, they didn't like the fact that the church elevated women. You see, back in the days of Rome, it wasn't that they hated women, but women were looked at as less than men. And so women weren't allowed to do many of the things that men were allowed to do. Women weren't hated, of course, but like for one reason, they, they weren't allowed to vote. They weren't allowed to take care of finances for the household. They weren't allowed to be involved in certain areas of the social life because they were not as high as a man. But then they saw the church, and in the church, everyone is calling each other brother and sister. There was no, we're men, you're women. They were all equal. They all were made in the image of God. God loved every one of them without favoring one over the other. 
Below God, man and woman stood as equal. Equal in the eyes of God. And so they called each other brother and sister, and Rome didn't like that. Number three, because the Christians didn't participate in the public worship of all the gods of Rome, including Caesar himself, the Christians were sort of forced to have their own private time of worship. So that's why they had house churches, and they met during the evening hours and had worship together. And they read the scriptures together and learned together and prayed together. But all of this raised suspicion among the society of Rome. And they thought bad things were happening during the night with these Christians. They accused Christians of cannibalism. You know what cannibalism is? They accused Christians of cannibalism. Why? Because the Christians said when they get together, they celebrate the Lord's Supper. And they have the cup and they have the bread, which resembles the blood of Christ and the body of Christ. Rome, that didn't understand what that meant, they believed that behind closed doors, they're actually eating each other. Cannibalism. And on top of that, they also thought the church was full of incense. I'm incense, not incense. Incest. Incest. Why? Because in the church, they call each other brother and sister. And Rome looked at that and said, well, wait a minute. If they're calling each other brother and sister, and many of them are married, and they're having children, then that means that brothers are marrying their own sisters and having children with them? That's called incest. They completely misunderstood what was happening in the church. But regardless, they hated, they detested the Christians. And above all this, the one thing they hated most of all was that while all of Rome bowed down to Caesar and made the statement, Caesar is Lord, the Christians refused to bow down to Caesar. And they claimed that there's only one Lord, and his name is Jesus Christ. Now, while all this is happening, and happening very quickly, and things are escalating very fast, meanwhile, the church is growing, and people are surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ. People are turning to Christ. Imagine what that would be like if you were living in Rome, and it was known that you turned to Jesus Christ. Do you think they were turning to Christ because it was the popular thing to do? Were they turning to Christ because they were promised, if you do this, you will have a good life? Were the Christians promised, just trust in Jesus and you'll become rich? Or do you think that they believe that if they believe in Jesus, that somehow it will, I don't know, help them advance in their career, advance in their education? No. None of these things. So why did they believe? And why were they turning to Christ even though persecution was on the rise? Because the gospel was true. And they were sinners. And they needed to be saved. That's why. Christians were looked at as apostates from the government religion. They were directly blamed even for natural disasters. So if a storm came upon Rome, if there was flood, if there was earthquake, if there were fires, then Rome believed that the gods are angry because we're allowing Christians living in our, Rome, in our city. 
They blamed the Christians for every natural disaster. And then finally, in 64 AD, not even 10 years after this letter was written, there was a great fire in Rome that burned down about two-thirds of the city. And Caesar Nero took an opportune time to say, you know what? The Christians did it. The Christians did it. And then everything turned against the Christians. And what followed was an all-out slaughtering of Christians. What was the gospel effect for these people? They believed the truth. They were saved. They knew they were saved. And there was nothing Rome could do about it. There was nothing the world could do about it. There was nothing Satan himself could do about their faith. They stood strong. Even in persecution. And you know about the persecution, right, in Rome? You've heard about the Colosseum. You know that there are Christians who are put in groups, husbands and wives and children, thrown into the Colosseum to be witnessed by thousands of people cheering and celebrating while gladiators came out and killed and murdered the Christians. They would bring Christians out and crucify them in front of everybody and they would cheer. They would even take women, strip them naked, put animal skins on them, send them out into the theater and allow wild beasts to come and catch them and tear them into pieces. That's what Rome did to our brothers and sisters back then. And if that wasn't enough, Caesar Nero, who hunted Christians, he had a beautiful garden that he was very proud of. Many gardens, and he invited people over to celebrate and to have a good time, and he wanted to show off his gardens. But how can they see it all during the night? So what Nero did was he set up crosses, he crucified Christians all throughout his garden, and then lit them on fire. So that all through the night you could gaze upon the beauties of his garden. Eventually, the same Paul that wrote this letter would be arrested, taken to Rome, and under Caesar Nero, Paul was beheaded. We also have the Apostle Peter, who was arrested and taken into Rome, and they crucified him. And yet, Paul writes to this people, and he says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says to them, you are the beloved of God. And there's nothing anyone can do about that. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but let me just show you in Romans chapter 8 what Paul says about these things. About this persecution and the love of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Paul says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord.
This is what the gospel did to our brothers and sisters in Rome. In the face of persecution, they knew they, they, they were the beloved, they knew they were saved, and there was nothing anyone could do about that truth. And Paul says to them, the whole world is talking about that faith. All the world hears about what's happening to you and what's going to happen. And they're talking about this great faith and oh, I praise God and I give him thanks because of this great faith in you. Question. What would others say about your faith? Do people even know that you have faith in Christ? If you told somebody today that you're a Christian, would it be a surprise to them? Or would they say, oh, well then that makes sense. What would people say about your faith? In times of persecution, in times of trial, in times of pain, that's when our faith is truly on display. Whether it's great or small, or if you have no faith, it will show in times of trial. This whole past year was a trial, wasn't it? How was your faith displayed for all to see? And as we look forward in 2022, I can guarantee you there's more trouble coming. I guarantee it. And so looking forward, how will your faith continue to be displayed in this coming year? What would people say about your faith? Number two, let's look at the prayer of the Apostle Paul. Verse 9 and 10, for God is my witness. I love that. Paul knew what it was like to go find that quiet place in his prayer room, shut the door where it's just him and God. Nobody needs to know all the details of Paul's prayer, but Paul says, God is my witness. He knows what I'm praying about. He knows what I say in the darkness of the night. As God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. Well, we could break all this down because it's so beautiful what Paul is saying. He says, I serve him with my spirit. Paul would also say that spiritually speaking, you were dead in your trespasses, and yet through Christ, God made you alive. And now in the spirit that is alive, Paul says, I now serve God. From the very depths of who I am, I serve God. I serve in the gospel of his son, because his son is the gospel. His son is the center of the gospel. But look at his prayer. He says, when I pray, my prayers, I make requests if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. That's my prayer. I want to be with you. He says, by some means or by any means. In other words, whatever way God sends me, whatever door opens, I'll go. This is Paul's way of giving God a blank check. In other words, God, I will go to Rome and I will go and preach the gospel. What will it cost me? God, that's up to you. You take the blank check and you write out the cost of what it's going to cost me to go. 
Paul gave him the blank check. God heard what he said, and God held him to his word. And when God sent Paul to Rome, Paul went as a prisoner in chains. Probably not what Paul thought, but he said at all costs, by any means, God, however you want to send me, I will go. Through shipwreck, through so many disasters, finally in chains, Paul would go to Rome. And as Paul prays, we see a couple of things stirring up inside of him. We see desire stirring up and determination. First, the desire. He says in verse 11, for I long to see you. That's my desire. That's what I'm thinking about all the time. That's what's stirring in me. I long to see you. That I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you. This isn't about me thinking I can teach you something. I want to share our mutual faith with each other. Because I know in doing that, it'll build you up, and I know for sure it's going to build me up as well. His desire is to see the people of God. This whole past couple of years, the world has trained us to not find it necessary to meet together. The world has trained us to say, you know what, on Sunday, no need to go to church because we can just watch it online. And how many people are still doing that today? All over the world, there are people who are still not going to church, and I'm telling you, it's not because they're afraid. It's because they found a new way to sort of be lazy on a Sunday. No need to go, because I can just watch it on YouTube. I can watch it on Facebook. I can watch it through live stream. You think that's how Paul would feel? Paul says, I long to see you. I want to be with you. Somebody in our church who hosts one of our connect groups, because we had to take a break for a while because of the, the lockdown, the, the shutdown, whatever you want to call it, but after months of not being with each other, we finally did get back to each other again and met for connect and those kinds of things. And one of the gentlemen told me, for the past few months, I have really enjoyed being with my wife every day at home. I can do work at home, which is wonderful. I can see my daughter every day. And it's just so nice to be home and to relax. But I've also found out how important it is for me to be surrounded by my brothers and sisters in Christ because I need to be strengthened. I need to be encouraged. And there's nothing better. There's no community greater than the church surrounding us as a family. And many of you have said the same thing. This is what the gospel does. We long for each other. When you come to this place, in this sanctuary, you're not coming just to eat and just to hear what I have to say and then go home. No, God calls us together that we may build up one another. Some of you need prayer. And I love to meet with you at the end of service and pray with you. But sometimes I can talk to one person and it takes a long time. And then many of you say, oh, I guess I'll see him next week and we can pray together. No, we have brothers and sisters in Christ right here. We are to encourage one another. Amen? We are to pray for one another. 
the gospel, it changes us in a way that we long to be with each other. We long to see each other and to establish and encourage. Establish means to help you stand up, be strong. And encourage means to build up in times of difficulty, in times of weakness, we all need to be encouraged. And secondly, his determination. Verse 13 and 14, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you. Every time Paul wrote his agenda, from one week to the next, a month to the next, at the top of his list, he would write, I must see Rome. This was always on top of his mind. And so often he tried to plan to go to Rome. But I was hindered until now that I may have fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and unwise. I am determined, Paul would say, I am determined to go anywhere and to meet with anyone. Paul would say, I don't look at someone and try to wonder, will they accept Jesus Christ? Do they look like they're interested? Do they look like they're a good person? Do they look like they'll understand? Paul will go to anyone, anywhere, and tell them about the gospel. Paul was determined to do just that and go anywhere, including Rome. He even says, I'm a debtor, which means I'm obligated. I owe. I owe to every Greek and barbarian and wise and unwise. Now when he says Greek, he's speaking of the, as the Greeks would say, the educated, the sophisticated, the philosophers of life, the high society. And then the barbarians were those people that were rude. They were from other parts of the world and they did strange things and spoke in strange ways. Paul says, regardless, I'll preach the gospel to the high class and I'll preach the gospel to the barbarian. I don't care. If they're wise, at least in their own eyes, or if they're unwise, I don't care. Everyone, the world needs to hear the gospel, and I am determined to share it. And that includes Rome. Now, why was Paul hindered? We don't know. Sometimes Paul did say, I wanted to go here, but Satan hindered me. Sometimes he said, I wanted to go here, but the Holy Spirit led me to a different place and didn't want me to go there. And here, what is hindering him from going to Rome? I'm not sure. But here's Paul's attitude. When it's God's will, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. And I'm ready. I'll wait and I'll be patient. When it's God's will, even if Satan tries to hinder it, he will not be able to overcome the will of God. So Satan may hinder me for now, but when the will of God is for me to go to Rome, I am going to Rome. I am determined. And Paul knew that one day God's will would prevail and Paul would go to Rome. In conclusion, let's end it with this last verse. Verse 15. So, Paul says, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Now here's a question that came to my mind when I read these words. 
Why does Paul want to preach the gospel of Jesus to a church that's already known for having great faith? Why does Paul say, I want to come to you, and the one thing I want to tell you is the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, can't we assume they already know the gospel? If they're saved and they have this great faith? If they're willing to face wild animals? To be torn apart by lions and bears and gladiators? I'm pretty sure, Paul, they've heard the gospel before and they're saved. So why does Paul say, when I come to you, I come with one message. I want to preach the gospel. Why? Because remember what Paul says. I want to come to you so that I can establish you and encourage you to make you strong and to build you up. And brothers and sisters, the one thing that will make you strong and build you up is the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that it means and all that it says about us. This is what God does. This is how he builds us up. Somebody who may be suffering through a difficult problem, whatever the circumstance is, and they're confused, they might say, what I really need in my spiritual life is a, a brand new revelation. Something I've, I've never seen before. Something God has never shown before. I need something new. No, you don't. No, you don't. What you need, Christian, is a deeper understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You need to know who Jesus is, what he's done, and what that means for you. You need to know what it means that you can say, I'm a child of God, that God loves me, that God has sanctified me, that God has a future for me. You need to realize what that means for you. And I think so many times when Christians are discouraged, they don't need brand new lessons and brand new workshops and brand new training. They need to go back to the basics and learn once again what Jesus has done for us and what it means that we are united with him. That, my friends, is how God can restore the joy of salvation in your life. Paul, everywhere he went, even down in Corinth, he said, I came with one message, Christ crucified. I didn't try to teach philosophy. I didn't try to motivate you in some way or another. I didn't try to bring some other motivational books for you to study and we, we get together and study about how to be a better person in life. I came with the cross to teach you what God has done for you and to teach you about that love. And if you will believe in that, you will be able to stand strong no matter what happens in the world. If Christians can stand in the middle of a coliseum being torn apart by animals, then we can stand today in 2022 because we serve the same God who is still mighty to save. Are you hearing me today? Amen. Praise God. Paul would say in Romans, and we'll get to this in the future, Paul would say of all the suffering we go through, of all the tribulation, all these sufferings are not even worthy to compare to the glory God will reveal in you. See, God has us on this plan. We're saved. We're children of God. He's sanctifying us. He's working in us. 
And in the future, he will take us to heaven and we will be as he is. That is Jesus. There's a wonderful plan God has in store for us. It's written. All we must do is believe and trust and walk with him. And Paul says, when you consider that plan, no matter how bad you feel today, it's not even worthy to compare that pain with all the glories God has planned for us. Last, and musicians, you can come. Paul says these words, I am ready to preach the gospel. I'm ready. I don't know when it's going to happen. All I know is I'm ready. And I'm going to stay ready. That word ready also means willing. And it's only used by Jesus before this. When the disciples were in the garden with Jesus and he asked them to pray and they kept falling asleep. They were so tired, physically weak. They heard so many things that Jesus said and they were confused somewhat and they're emotionally drained. They're falling asleep and not able to pray. Jesus said to them, pray. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. In other words, this new spirit that God has made alive in us, where the Holy Spirit dwells, is always willing, always ready, always ready to believe, even though the circumstances seem impossible. For Paul, it might look impossible. I'm never going to get to Rome. It's humanly impossible, but in my spirit, oh, I'm ready because I can't help but believe God will make a way. Are you praying about something today? Are you going through a situation today? And as you consider what you're praying about, are you getting lost with, but God, I don't know how you're going to be able to do this. God, I don't know how you're going to work this out. The flesh is often weak. But spiritually speaking, in the innermost place of who you are, where the Spirit of God dwells, God stirs up your heart to believe, to believe impossible things. And don't we believe impossible things? We can't help it. That's who we are. That's what the gospel does in us. Amen. I am so thankful to know the Lord. I'm so thankful. And I'm so thankful this gospel has changed my life and it's changed yours. But I wonder today, as we're all looking at each other right now, are you discouraged today? Are you suffering today? When I asked you that question, what would the world say about your faith? Were you embarrassed in your heart? Were you ashamed? Because you know you haven't honored God. Whether it's in the sins that you've committed, words that you've spoken to someone, how you have neglected the presence of God in your own life, do you feel, as the Bible says, well short of the glory of God? Are you discouraged? My message to you today is not something that will just tickle your ears. My message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He came to save sinners. He came to transform and to give us new life. He came that we would be adopted children of God. He came that we would be united with him. That God would look upon us as he does with his own son, Jesus Christ, and say, you are my beloved. You are my beloved. Now what can change that? 
nothing. Nothing. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Let's stand together.